Welcome to the very first episode of Spurbs Herbs Chinese Singles. This is a weekly podcast that we'll be looking at individual Chinese herbs. Every week we're going to have a different herb that we go way in depth on. And this is episode one. We're going to be talking about gochiza in the Chinese, also known as goji or goji berries. And if you like your Latinate, lychee fructus, or as we're going to get into it, lychee barbarum. Um, I am Dr. Greg Sperber. I am your host for this, and let's get going. And right off the bat, I'd love to, to tell you that we are sponsored by Your Name Could Go right here. All you need to do is contact me at the email address at the end of this program, and we would love to talk about sponsoring this, for having this sponsored by you. So before we get into Gochiza proper, I, I wanted to talk about uh, something that I first learned as the new drug curve. I learned that in, in a pharmacology class in, in Western medicine. Um, in business, it's called the hype curve or the Gardner hype curve. Uh, and that's usually applied to technology, uh, but in, in marketing, uh, used in marketing a lot too. I'm kind of rebranding it a little bit called the rediscovered herb curve. I've tweaked it a little bit as we go along. So we're going to talk about where I've tweaked it and, and what it means. But here, the, the herb that I always think about when I think about this, this, um, this curve is kombucha. Because when I was in, in Chinese medical school, this was really hot. Everyone had kombucha. They were um, fermenting it in their, in their kitchens. And it was the hot herb uh, all over the place. And it got really, really uh, hyped. Uh, didn't quite get as high as goji berries, I think. I think goji berries have become much more mainstream than kombucha, but kombucha got up there. And then what happened right at the height of its hype, people started dying because it was home fermentation. There was contaminants. It smelled funny and people drank it anyways and died from contamination, or at least those are some of the stories that hit. And so instantly kombucha went off the face of the planet. You couldn't find it, no one talked about it, it was just done. This whole process probably took a couple years to go through it. And then here we are maybe you know, 15, 20 years later, and you can go down and you can buy kombucha at any health food store. And it's, it's kind of come back, it's nowhere near the hype or the level it was I think when I was in, in Chinese medical school, but it did come back uh, and it's it's much more mainstream and it has maintained sort of a, a steady presence. And so that's that I think that that rapid increase in hype, the rapid decrease and then sort of a, uh, a, a mainstreaming sort of low level use of it. That's sort of the the hype curve or the rediscovered herb curve. I think in a, in a nutshell. And the reason why I call it the rediscovered herb curve is because these herbs have been around for a long time and have been used for thousands of years by indigenous peoples. And so it, it it's not that we're discovering it, we're rediscovering it and applying our modern business hype machinery to it. And so that's why I like to call it the rediscovered herb curve. You can, I have a, I have a picture of this herb curve on the website. So all you have to do is go to www.spurbsherbs.com and you can and look at episode one for single herbs, Spurbs Herbs Single Herbs, and you will be able to see a picture of this. So basically there's five parts to it and it starts with rediscovery. It, it 
peaks at peak of inflated expectations. It goes down into the trough of disillusionment. It comes up slightly with the slope of enlightenment and a slight decline of use. I've That's my little tweak on it is that herbs will kind of slightly decline in use over time as opposed to plateauing and remaining relatively stable. So some of these terms are the terms from Gartner uh, research. And so, um, and some of them I've tweaked a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about these five parts. So the first one is rediscovery. This was, Gardner called this the technology trigger because it was really applied to technology. So when a new technology comes around, bam, that starts this whole curve. So I'm saying when re rediscovery happens. And so how does rediscovery happen? I don't know, there, there, there seems to be a bit of a, of, uh, an increased awareness, like someone brings out and does an article somewhere and then there's, there's a little bit of um, uh, interest in it. And then I think some of the nutraceutical companies get involved and start pushing it. And then uh, the, the retailers get involved and start pushing it. And so, uh, and then there's more articles and then there's books. And I think that's how this happens with herbs. And it keeps going up and up until it reaches the peak of inflated expectations. And so early publicity produces a number of success stories. Basically, people who are taking this are feeling great and there's some good stories about how great this is and all that sort of stuff. So that, that peaks the interest in people. And then it decreases the trough of disillusionment. Interest wanes as experiments and implementations fail to deliver. Um, like I said, with kombucha, we, we often see where uh, people have gotten hurt. Um, so you often hear like um, with some uh, herbs that are misused, you might hear liver problems or um, like I said, in kombucha, there was actually reported deaths due to improper fermentation of the kombucha. So when those hit, the, the disillusionment came um, fast and furious. I think sort of a slow level of disillusionment often happens when scientists start looking at each of the herbs and go, hey, this really isn't doing everything that other people said they were doing, and so maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, these days, we also have issues with drug-herb interactions, so if anything comes up, in, the, in terms of, a, of an interaction, that could certainly uh, propel the disillusionment. Um, there are certainly a lot of uh, organizations out there, skeptic, skeptics, that will um, try and, and, and um, prevent the use of these and say, hey, let's not get too ahead of the research here. So all these can contribute to the trough of disillusionment, which is the, is the valley of this. And then it comes up slightly, and this is called the slope of enlightenment. So more instances of how the herb can actually benefit. I, I see this as um, we start to see stories. So what we what I typically see is sort of like a whole bunch of this is the greatest herb and everybody should be on it and that's it's just it, it is the most amazing thing ever and that leads to the peak of inflated expectations and then the stories kind of come out and start going hey this isn't as good as you thought it was here are some of the dangers involved here are some of the contraindications here's something that actually happened in the real world and so that comes down and then we start getting those stories that kind of say like, well, yeah, those things did happen, but they didn't use them properly. And this is how to use it. And these are the people who should be using it. One of my biggest issues is always when someone says everybody should be taking something because that's when I know very few people should be actually taking it. That's that's a huge danger sign. That means there's a salesperson trying to sell you the the herb or the nutrient, nu nutrient 
and has no interest in the actual truth. They're just trying to get as much sales as possible because there isn't an herb in the world that everybody should be on all the time. There's always reasons for being on herbs. And so as soon as someone says everyone should be on it, we're in big trouble. And that leads to that to that um, peak of inflated expectations. And, and then on the flip side, the trough of disillusionment as they're proved wrong. So um, it goes into the trough of, of disillusionment, and then it comes up slightly into the slope of enlightenment. Again, these are uh, articles saying, yeah, this is actually been, you get some of that, that experimentation and say, oh no, it doesn't do that, but actually it shows like it might be doing this. And so those people, you know, for example, it might help prostate stuff. So um, all those people who were taking it to prevent Alzheimer's, which doesn't show any evidence for, I'm not saying this in particular, I'm just giving some examples. Um, so those people who were taking it to prevent Alzheimer's kind of stopped taking it because the research shows it doesn't work, or some of them do anyways. And then, but then you start saying, hey, it actually helps with prostate. And there is some evidence to support that. And so people who are having prostate issues start taking it. And so that's the slope of alignment. It goes up, never again reaches that peak of, of inflated expectations, but it comes up um, beyond the trough of disillusionment. And then traditionally uh, in, the, in the Gardner hype curve, it goes into the plateau of productivity. This is where um, with a technology piece, people kind of go, okay, this is what it's good for, this is what it's not good for, and we can use it for this. And it's kind of a stable sort of plateau. It just kind of continues going along at that level. I've renamed this the slight decline of use because I feel like um, oftentimes once an herb kind of hits that sort of peak of the slope of enlightenment, it slowly kind of decreases as... Um, uh, people who are on it go, hey, maybe I need to save a few bucks or um, and new people haven't come on to really discover it. So it, I think there's a slow decline of use over time rather than a plateau when it comes to herbs. I might be wrong on that. That's just sort of my observation. Um, and in the slow, slight decline of use, we have mainstream adoption takes off. The herbs applicability and usefulness are present, but wane slowly over time and loss of market maintenance. So people aren't like a, a big nutrition companies aren't sitting there going, hey, this is this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, like they were um, on the way up to the to the peak of, of inflated expectations. Um, so there isn't as much attention. So I think it slightly declines over time. So this is the rediscovered herb curve. And I think it's really important to kind of talk about this in terms of goji berries, because I think this has been goji berries have been a huge one uh, on this rediscovered herb curve in the last few years. I mean, they they just reached the pinnacle. And I, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. They are really healthy and good for you. And we're going to talk about some of the health benefits of, of goji berries. But there's there's a couple other things that I think are really important. First of all, they're widely available and in the whole form. Like you don't have to get an extract in a capsule and you're not sure exactly what you're getting or not. You can actually buy goji berries and eat them directly. And they're sweet and tasty. There's not many herbs that are sweet and tasty. So um, I, I, I think that and and as we're going to talk about it, the first mention of goji berries was about 2000 years ago so i mean it's been around for a very long time and and so all of these things this long history of benefits um some research going into it, it's actually saying hey some of this might be true 
and also the the fact that it is tasty and easy and it's actually a food um you can use it like raisins in recipes and things like that. So uh, I, I think that all kind of went to the peak of inflated expectations. I think we're a bit on the on into the trough of disillusionment. I don't think we're far off the peak. I think we have a quite a ways to go on the trough of disillusionment if it's going to go down as far. So one of the things about this rediscovered herb curve is it's different for every herb. Some of them have higher peaks and lower valleys and some of them have medium size of each and some dip lower than others. So it's not easy to know where it's going to be on this curve, but it does give us some forethought, foresight into what's going on. So I, I actually think with the goji berries, we are going to see a little bit more disillusionment um, and then it's going to have that that uh, slope of enlightenment. And, and I don't think that's going to be huge because I don't think it's going to decline too, too much. Again, there's not a lot of barriers to its use. Like kombucha, you had to ferment it for a while. And now if you want kombucha, you have to buy bottles of it, which isn't cheap to have that long term. So, you know, there's some barriers to using kombucha. There's not a lot of barriers to goji. They're tasty. They're easily available, relatively inexpensive, though. I'll, I'll um, tell you how to get them a little bit cheaper. And so um, that's kind of, I, I, I think goji berries are definitely on this, this herb curve or hype curve or whatever you want to call it. And uh, we have a ways to go. So let's get into Gochiza. So in the Chinese, it's uh, it's each of, for those of you who know a little bit of Chinese, each of them are third tone. So it's go, qi, zi. So it has that third tone going on it. The English translation of Gochiza is thorny stock seed. So it's kind of a an interesting um, thing. It is, the Latin is lychee fructus, fructus meaning fruit. So this is the fruit of the lychee plant. Um, at some point, we're going to go into uh, degupi, which is uh, the uh, the ramulus or the 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 uh, actually I think it's radix it's the it's the root of of this tree which has very different properties but we're not there yet. Um, the standard species is Lychium babarum uh, L uh, is usually how it's it's uh, done. Um, there is another species that is often used for lychee and that is um, Lycium chinense. Uh, that is considered a, a lower quality than, than the Lychium barbarum. Uh, so you generally want to stick with the barbarum. Other names for these are Lycium fruit, Chinese wolfberries, matrimony vine fruit, Barbary wolfberry, of course, goji, and Chinese boxthorn. These are all different uh, synonyms for this, for gochidza. I'm going to tend to say gochidza or goji for the rest of this uh, podcast because I'm comfortable with the Chinese a little bit. So the first mention of this was in the um, Shen Nang Ben Sao Jing, the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica. This is a uh, sort of a foundational text for herbal medicine. It was the first compendium of Chinese herbs, single herbs, uh, and it was written um, somewhere between 200 BCE and 200 CE, so uh, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, give, a, give or take a couple hundred years. Uh, it is often put in the category, so in Chinese medicine, uh, herbs are, are uh, put into categories of their functions, and they're really... Uh, Generally, this is put into the herbs that tonify blood category. 
although there is some some uh, arguments and in some books it's actually put into yin tonifying herbs so uh, if you are a little bit familiar with Chinese medicine blood and yin are very uh, closely related so that isn't that doesn't sound that doesn't seem as big of a difference as it as it might uh, but um, so it's very good for the blood and yin in uh, Chinese medicine um, think of them as kind of the, the body's fluids um, to a certain extent that's a real oversimplification uh, but we'll we'll stick with that for a little bit we're also going to talk about as we get into that into the effects here a little bit of yang so yin and yang um, you've probably heard of these in um, uh, you know in, in various contexts in Chinese medicine they are considered one of the four substances of, of life so we have um, qi and blood yin and yang are the four substances of life and uh, it, you know I don't want this to be a treatise on, on the four substances but um, yin is is the cooling aspect the fluid aspect uh, the solid aspect of the body yang is the um, is sort of the heat and the uh, force aspect of, of the Chinese body um, and the, the, in other words, the not solid uh, aspects of the of the Chinese body. Uh, I think really when we think yang, we think warmth uh, and and function uh, more than anything else. And so, um, blood is is uh, very much related to yin, as blood has substance, and um, qi is very much related to yang because qi has less substance uh, and yang as well. So uh, that's sort of how the four substances kind of match up a little bit. Going back to gochiza, uh, it is sweet and neutral in temperature. So in Chinese herbs, we always talk about temperature of the herbs, and they could be cooling or warming or hot or cold. And of course, they could be neutral. So generally, goji berries are considered to be neutral in temperature, though there was one author that attributes um, a cooling aspect to it. So uh, keep that in mind, and, and it makes a bit of sense. Usually blood and yantana fine herbs tend to be a little bit cooling. Um, not always, but they tend to be. It enters the liver, lung, and kidney channels. This is sort of a technical thing for Chinese medicine that herbs will enter different channels uh, as, they, uh, as they get processed by the body and affect those channels in a, in a, in a positive way. Um, I think there's a lot of people who might dispute the importance of these and of course a lot of people who would uh, say that it's really important. I probably tend towards the it's probably not that important. However, when you look at the functions of these herbs in Chinese terms, these particular channels are very important and, and they're in some herbs they're just not that um, useful to look at the channels. But in this case, this herb definitely does affect the liver, lung, and kidneys. So it's important to look at. Generally, in Chinese medicine, a dose is 6 to 12 grams. Uh, uh, basically, that would be 6 to 12 grams a day. Uh, I have seen uh, some of the stuff online that says up to 15 grams is fine. I don't think this is relatively uh, safe. This is a very safe herb, so uh, I don't think 15 grams would be an issue at all. But traditionally, 6 to 12 grams is, is the proper dosage. Uh, what are you looking for for 
some good quality goat cheese because this is one of my areas. I, I've seen a really a lot of bad quality goat cheese out there on the market. Um, and if you know the difference between good quality and bad quality, you can actually maybe save some bucks uh, doing this. So first of all, good quality. There are several different species that can be like we talked about the, the Lychium barbarum versus the Chinense. Uh, and one of the ways you can look, at, you, you can just look and know if it's higher quality or not, if it's the long, flat, elongated shape rather than round. We don't want a round quality. That's usually a lesser quality. So you don't want it looking like a raisin. You want it looking um, more uh, like an elongated football a little bit would probably be a good, a good analogy for that. It should be sweet when you take a bite. It should be sweet. shouldn't be bitter. It should be a dark red color should not be bright red if it's bright red it's been adulterated either with sulfur or some dyes you do not want bright red and so as soon as you see bright red you want to think very low quality uh there should be it should not be bright red at all um you can if you if you suspect that it's dyed you can actually um, put it in some water soak it in some water and if the water becomes red then you know it was dyed uh and if you do put it in water High quality, uh, about 90% of them should float. Um, and poor quality, about half of them will float and half of them will sink. And on high quality, there should be a white dot at the stock end of the fruit. So just look for a little white dot. Um, I, I don't have any personal experience with the white dot. I, I can't say I've looked for that, but that's what I've read. And so it certainly is something I'll be keeping an eye on as I, as I look at this. So I, I said, if you know these things, you know some good quality stuff. How can you save a few bucks? Well, let me tell you how to save a few bucks. First of all, don't buy it in the in the natural food store. Um, they are marking this stuff up a lot. Um, lychee, uh, goji berries are relatively inexpensive if you go to a Chinese herb uh, uh, distributor. Uh, they will probably, with this, they will probably be happy selling this to uh, retail to uh, customers and you just put in Chinese herb and you'll find this at half the price if not less than you will in a food store and you'll get more of it you'll get it comes usually in half kilo bags so about a pound or two per a pound per bag and uh, it doesn't run that much it's getting more expensive as the popularity has gone up but then uh, production goes up and it kind of balances out uh, but you can certainly save about half um, and and we are talking retail at the Chinese medical side of things, but it's usually higher quality and it's cheaper. So I'd recommend that if you want to save a few bucks. So in a in a <clears throat> excuse me, in a Western herb sense, it's used as an anti-aging agent uh, to help um, the eyes. Now the eyes are a big thing, so um, you'll see this a lot. Uh, it benefits the eyes. Uh, from a Chinese medical perspective, and it certainly has that sort of reputation from a Western um, perspective as well. And if you just kind of go around China, what you'll see is a lot of old elderly drinking uh, chrysanthemum tea um, with some of these berries in it, goji berries in it, and they drink it throughout the day. They just add hot water to it, and you see it all over the place. Everybody's drinking it. So, and and one of the major reasons is this anti-aging effect, but even more is it's said to to really help the eyes. And we'll talk about that in just a second because there's some real good. Um, probability that it does help the eyes. It can also be used as an anti-diabetic. It's supposed to um, help uh, diabetes. Um, if you look at some of the traditional 
functions of it in, in the Chinese texts. They talk about it helping wasting and thirsting disorder. And wasting and thirsting disorder is usually translated as diabetes. So um, in the evidence is both uh, is generally type 2, but when we think of uh, wasting and thirsting, uh, that does bleed into type 1 diabetes. And so uh, it probably has some effect for both that from a Chinese perspective. It can be anti-hyperlipidemic. So if you have high cholesterol or high triglycerides, this can certainly help. Um, it's said to help lower those, and we'll see some reasons why that might be the case. And it's also said to uh, stimulate the immune system. So it's, it's supposed to build up um, your immunity. Um, one of the, the nice things about this from a Chinese perspective is this is a tonic herb, and it is designed to kind of help build you up. Uh, uh, very various aspects we're getting into a little bit more specifics but um, one of the things that's nice about it it's a relatively gentle tonic that you can kind of you can take long term and give a couple suggestions as we move through so from a Chinese medical um, point of view it has three major actions one is it nourishes and tonifies the liver and kidney so again we talked about um, this enters the liver, kidney, and lung channel. So there you go. Liver and kidney is is definitely nourished and tonified here. Um, and we can be a little bit more specific there. And, and uh, the liver, it really um, helps uh, liver blood, um, liver yin. Um, with the kidneys, it, it helps kidney yin and slightly helps kidney yang. Um, so it's, it's helpful for all of that. It benefits the essence and brightens the eyes. So we talked about the eyes. Um, it says brightens the eyes. That's a, a translation. So it could be benefits. Some some books say benefits the eyes. Um, essence is an interesting concept in Chinese medicine. Uh, the, the Chinese term for this is jing. And it is, uh, how do I explain it? This is sort of the core of us. Uh, essence is what makes us us. Uh, some people will attribute genetics to to essence. I think it's a little bit more living than a genetic code. Um, and one of the definitions of death is that you have no more essence. You have more no more jing, and so therefore you're dead. So this is, uh, in in a very real sense, from a Chinese perspective, essence is life. It's what you know. You can make the same case like you lose qi, you're dead. You lose yin, you're dead. It's true, but essence is what helps generate qi and blood yin and yang and so uh, and it's a basic substance it's given to us by our parents and it's um it's debatable some people say you can supplement essence other people say you cannot you can only conserve it um and there are herbs that are supposed to to help and herbs uh, and other people say no those herbs don't actually help build essence so it's it's sort of a controversial topic but what's important is that we want to maintain it and to support it and to benefit it so this herb is good for doing all of that it also enriches the yin and moistens the lungs and so it can actually be used to for coughs uh, especially dry coughs and there we go we have that lung channel in there that's the, the third and last channel of this so the liver kidney and lungs are the three channels of this herb um, you can use it um, some some uses in Chinese medicine. Uh, it's used in in several formulas. We'll talk about one briefly uh, in just a minute. Um, more often than not, though, it's added to formulas. There's not a ton of formulas that it's it's just in. 
Um, it's usually added to formulas for various reasons. Many of those reasons are, uh, and we're going to talk about, I keep saying we're going to talk about, but we are. Uh, it helps the eyes. Uh, that's a, a real good reason why this is put in. It's a gentle tonic. So when someone's presenting to a Chinese herbalist, this is not necessarily something they're going to be put on uh, short term for an acute condition or anything along those lines, but it certainly is something that can be added into someone's lifestyle long term as a tonic. In fact, after doing this this podcast, I, I drink uh, Chinese loose tea uh, on a daily basis. That's one of my my things, and I'm now thinking, man, maybe I need to get some lychee berries, some goji berries, and put put a few of them in my my tea to help out and i'll tell you some reasons why that might not be a good idea for me to do so one of the some some of the more off the wall sort of things is it can be used topically mixed with olive oil or petroleum jelly to treat burns redness and swelling uh, i'm not sure exactly how this it is a little sticky of an herb so i think it's probably um ground down a little bit and then mixed with the petroleum jelly and olive oil and and, and put on uh, it can also be used with uh, bimalgen, which is uh, a violet, one of the violets, uh, to treat bleeding gums and chronic hepatitis. This is one of the uses for modern-day uses from a Chinese perspective. Uh, you can prepare it in many ways. I mean, most often it's used in a decoction, uh, which is uh, hotted wa heated water, so it's boiled and then uh, with a bunch of other herbs and the herbs are discarded and the, and the tea that's left over, the decoction that's left over is, is, uh, is imbibed. And I think that's probably the most common use of this from a traditional Chinese point of view. Uh, rarely from a Chinese point of view do you just eat it raw. And there's, there's some good reasons for this. All tonifying herbs are considered to be a little bit cloying, though this herb is considered to be a little bit less cloying than other herbs. And cloying means it can affect your digestion. So if you have any digestive concerns, especially if you have diarrhea, from a Chinese perspective, you have spleen qi deficiency diarrhea. This is an herb that you'd want to be uh, careful about consuming in large quantities and certainly not raw. I don't usually recommend that people will eat this raw. I, I do like the idea of soaking it. You can eat it soaked. You can eat it in a tea. Um, what I really like is there's some recipes, and I'm sure if you were to uh, do a, a search for a Chinese chicken soup with goji or lychee or gojiza, um, you'll find some recipes for using this in, in uh, the Chinese version of uh, chicken soup. So uh, that's that's an idea if you want on a regular, on an everyday sort of basis, adding this into some of the foods that you cook, especially soups and stews and things along those lines. There's some really nice recipes for that. Um, the idea there is that it's, it's sort of cooked down and all of those sort of things is cooked down. So a lot of the cloying properties are reduced and it doesn't take as much to actually digest it and so that would be my recommendation is rather than eating it raw like raisins that you actually use it um, at bare minimum put it in some tea and hot water and steep it for a little bit before you eat it is it bad to eat um, it, I wouldn't say no especially if you have a strong stomach um, and once it's sort of in that it's steeped. I think they're they're relatively good to eat, so I wouldn't have any issues with that. A couple other ways you can prepare it: you can dry fry it briefly, and this will make it uh, warmer and easier to digest. So that just means just putting it in a pan and and frying it for a little bit. You can also salt fry it, so with some salt. And uh, salt is is uh, 
very useful for the kidneys. It, in a Chinese perspective, salt will drive things to the kidneys. So um, salt frying enhance, enhances its ability to enter the kidney, move downward, augment the essence. The kidney is in charge of that, jing that essence that I was talking about earlier. So if it's being driven to the kidney, it's going to help that essence a little bit more and make it easier to digest because it has been cooked a little bit. So those are a couple ways you can prepare this. Uh, there are a bunch of herbs that do similar actions to goji berries, and so let's get into a few of those. Uh, probably the one that, and I already mentioned this one, is juhua, uh, which is chrysanthemum flowers. Uh, and this is, like I said, you go in China and you see people drinking chrysanthemum, older uh, individuals um, drinking chrysanthemum uh chrysanthemum flowers with goji berries in it and the reason uh, this together this combination is really good for brightening the eyes um, gochiza it nourishes the liver and kidneys it's used for deficiency conditions with dry and sore eyes while juhua disperses wind and clears heat and is used in excess conditions with redness swelling and pain and they can be used together in mixed deficient excess conditions so in China they, they will usually use these these together to help brighten the eyes so if you have any eyesight issues drinking the tea of this throughout the day is a, is a nice way to help help with that uh, another herb that's very similar is Huang Jing this is uh, probably one of my favorite herbs uh, it's polygonatum rhizome tonifies the it, it tonifies the chi and yin of the lung spleen and kidney and um, we already talked about gochi tonifies lung yin so that's the same as wangjing liver blood and kidney essence as well as gently warming the kidney yang combined this is really good um, supplementation it's very broad supplementation and it, but it's gentle um, which is a good and a bad thing it's not going to have rapid effects but long-term use of it can be very very useful uh, and at low doses and is used to help the aged and weak in those conditions. So uh, again, just a combination of Wang Jing and Gochiza uh, in a tea and drinking it every day or throughout the day would be a nice little gentle uh, tonic to have for most people. Uh, the Gochiza Tusudza, which is uh, Kiskuda, and Sha Yuan, which is milk vetch or astragalite complanati. All tonify both kidney yin and yang, though Tusudza and Shaihuan both tend toward the yang and are astringent to secure the essence. So all of this helps the essence, all of this helps yin and yang. Gochidza is a little bit more on the yin side. It nourishes kidney and lung yin with only a slight kidney yang enhancing quality. So um, these are can be used together. Um, and but that's a little bit of the comparison between the two is uh, Gochitsa is not as much on the yang side as Tusudza or Shaiyuan. Um, we also have uh, Chushirdza, which is paper mulberry fruit, very similar in tonifying the yin and blood of the liver and kidney with as Gochitsa. Um, but Gochitsa is neutral, additionally tonifies the essence and can treat coughs by moistening the lungs. And that is one of the uses for Gochitsa, though it's not necessarily the first use I would think of Gochitsa. Chushirdza is cold and clears heat, especially in the liver that affects the eyes and promotes urination. So the eyes are connected with the liver. And so whenever the liver is affected, the eyes could be affected and vice versa. And so if you have heat in the eyes, you'll get in the liver, you might get heat in the eyes, red uh, eyes, uh, dry, itchy eyes. And uh, 
so the chushudza is probably a little bit better for that than the gochidza might be. Uh, and chushudza also has the, the added uh, aspect of promoting urination. So it acts sort of as, a, as an herbal diuretic. Uh, a couple other herbs comparisons, new shenzi, legustrum fruit, and sangshen, mulberry fruit, uh, and gochidza, all tonify the liver and kidney yin. Gochidza also assists the kidney yang, which the other two do not. Sangshen nourishes the blood. Mulberry fruit, if you're not familiar with mulberry in Chinese, well, we're going to have, uh, there's several parts of that tree that are, are very huge in, in Chinese herbology and also very huge in Chinese history. So we'll, we'll get into some of those stories as we go along. So Gochiza assists the kidney yang. Songshen nourishes the blood. And uh, Nuzhenza does not tonify the yang or the blood, but can cool heat from yin deficiency. So remember we talked about yin sort of being the cooling aspect and the fluid aspect of the body. If you are deficient in yin, which happens naturally as we grow older, especially in women, um, what happens is that cooling aspect goes away and you get hot. So this is sort of from a Chinese perspective, this is why we have... Uh, potentially why we have hot flashes. Well, women have hot flashes as they go through menopause. And so uh, Nuzhenza is going to be better for clearing that heat from that yin deficiency, that lack of yin, um, than either Gochidza or Songshen are going to be. So that's sort of the, the Chinese perspective. Let's get into the science of it. Let's talk about some of the, the what we know about it scientifically. First of all, it is a very safe herb. Uh, there are not a lot of concerns around this. I think um, probably the, the biggest concerns these days uh, as we're wrapping up production is with pesticide use uh, and coming out of China. I think it's important to look for organic varieties of this and go through uh, people who you know are going to be testing for adulterants uh, because this is one of those fruits that that can be used a lot. We are starting to grow it in the United States, though my understanding is it is difficult to grow uh, at a farm level here in the United States. So still a lot of this is coming from China and uh, supposedly the best quality comes from China. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go through. Um, it has been reported to have the alkaline atropine in it. Uh, which can be very dangerous at, at higher quantities. Um, but further research into it has um, has disputed that there's a lot of, of uh, atropine. Levels are actually so low that one would need to eat several tons before there's even the possibility of atropine intoxication. So that doesn't seem to be a worry at all. Uh, it is considered an antioxidant and sort of the the measure of antioxidant capability is called the total oxygen radical absorbance capacity. Uh, and the uh, I, I've seen various numbers on this. The sort of the FDA official one said that goji berries have an ORAC, is what it's called, the oxygen radical absorbance capacity of 3,290. Um, I, I've seen uh, something on the web that said it was up to 23,000, but I actually went to the FDA website and it is 3,200. Just to give you some, some comparisons, acai berry is said to have an ORAC of about 102,700. Blueberries are in the 4,600 to 9,600 range. Cranberries are around 9,000. So um, compared to those, 
I think uh, the uh, antioxidant capacity of, of lychee is is not as strong as some of the others. Um, you always have to to um, question some of these as far as um, do they are we talking about the same species? Maybe they did um, lychium uh, chinense rather than the babarum, um, but uh, it's not a bad if you look at some of the the vegetables that we we like like broccoli um which is supposed to be a really nice vegetable that's in the eight or nine hundred range of orac so uh we're talking about three or four times that um so it's not a bad antioxidant it's just not as strong as some of the others um so in my mind it doesn't hurt there are many claims about uh gochiza and what it does um, however, uh, the studies that I've seen have only been in vitro or animal studies to, uh, to support them. Uh, and I'll talk about in vitro and animal studies in just a second. Let me just go over what these are. Um, it's immunity boosting, as we mentioned, antioxidant, anti-stress, neuroprotective, including there was a study that, that talked about it treating Alzheimer's disease. Um, it's hepatoprotective, which means it helps the liver, aids the eyes. Um, Antihyperglycemic, so that's good for diabetics, and antihyperlipidemic, so that's good for high cholesterol and, and triglycerides. It's also said to be antihypertensive. So I saw um, quite a few studies that referred to all of these. Um, <clears throat> all of them were either in vitro or animal studies. And so, excuse me, <clears throat> in vitro studies uh, are that's Latin for in glass, basically. So these are lab studies, um, and they're not in human beings. Uh, animal studies, again, obviously not in human beings. Uh, they're usually in rats, uh, though sometimes you'll see other animals involved, like rabbits or monkeys. So uh, in general, when you look at scientific evidence, in vitro and animal studies are not considered very strong evidence. Um, I think the best way to think of it is it points in a direction that you might want to research more clinically um, to see if it actually has those effects. So it's not an indication that it doesn't do it. It's just not a strong indication that it does do it in my mind. So um, I think it's, it's important. I think some of these do add up to the thousands of years of Chinese use. So, you know, aiding the eyes and and uh, uh, being neuroprotective and immunity boosting, I think, would, would line up with some of the Chinese uh, functions. Um, so there's that. Uh, so it's the evidence, I would say, is not strong for these effects at this point. There was a small clinical study. So as soon as we get into clinical studies, I think we're in much firmer ground. Um, and then we start looking as to what it can and can't do. Then we start looking at the quality of the research, the numbers that were involved, um, the actual, um, the, the, how the study methodology was. So this was a small clinical study from China that showed tumor regression in malignant melanoma, renal cell carcinoma, colorectal carcinoma, lung cancer, nasopharyngeal carcinoma, or and malignant hydrothorax. So when when I look at that list and, and the numbers, I, I don't remember exactly, it was like 73 or 79 uh, patients that, that did this and showed that there was tumor regression. I'm, I'm very skeptical because there's one, two, three, four, five, six different cancers uh, in 73 patients. That's only 10 patients each. This doesn't show much, but anti-tumor is definitely one of the things that are... are 
talked about uh, that, that the goji berries can do. And um, there's a little bit of evidence. Um, not, I don't consider this very strong evidence at all. I wouldn't be going out there and saying everyone who's, uh, who's got cancer should be taking uh, goji berries. I do think there needs to be some more research on this. But it's, uh, it's pointing in an interesting direction. So what makes goji berries so useful in all of these things? And so goji berries contain a lot of different constituents. Uh, comparatively, so it contains a lot of um, beta, betaine, uh, also uh, zeaxanthin, also known as uh, phacelian, and other carotenoids. Uh, it has solaviv, ah, I'll get it, solavitivone, shown to have an antifungal action, beta-cytosterol, vitamin A, B1, B2, vitamin C, calcium, phosphorus, iron, and linoleic acid. Um, you get into it, um, everyone claims something here. This is what I could find from some of the more reputable websites, but you can certainly find things like magnesium being touted in there. Let's go into a few of these. Um, betaine is used biologically in methylation reactions uh, and helping remove homocysteine a major risk factor for heart disease. So the betaine is um, where we, and, and the, the goji berries actually have, uh, relatively speaking, quite a bit of the betaine. Uh, it is used, it is considered to be sort of that cardioprotective aspect that helps the heart. So if you're not up on, on uh, you know, some of the recent uh, heart attack research, and I probably am not as up on that as I, I may have once been, Homocysteine has become a big culprit uh, as, and as a risk factor for heart disease. So betaine is, is said to break down, remove that homocysteine, and that indicates that it, it's, it could be very cardioprotective. So um, that's probably why we say it has some of this. It, it helps in uh, many aspects of heart disease. Carotenoids, uh, also called tetraterpenoids, are considered protective of various cancers, probably through antioxidant effects. If that if carotenoid sounds somewhat familiar, if you see the spelling, it's C-A-R-O-T. Uh, they were first discovered in carrots, so that's where uh, uh, carotenoids came from. There are two types of uh, carotenoids. The first one is are carotenes. These are unoxygenated and include lycopenes. If that sounds familiar, that's what's in, in uh, tomatoes. That are helpful for you and beta carotenes. So beta carotene uh, is uh, can be broken down into vitamin A, and so that's uh, considered to be a very beneficial uh, uh, carotene carotenoid. And then the other type of carotenoids are xanthophils. They do contain oxygen. And remember, we mentioned that xanthine is in that is a uh, is in goji berries, and that is a xanthophil. And uh, lutein is also in there, and lutein is also uh, shown, used, is present in many vegetables. But the zeanthine is um, the carotenoid. If you look at the carotenoids, those are supposed to help the eyes and as well as have antioxidant effects and the cancers. So that zeanthine is zeanthine, I can't even say it, zeanthine is probably uh, is pretty major in the goji berries and, and helps with those aspects. Uh, it also contains beta-cytosterol, and it's a plant sterol that may help heart disease and high cholesterol, as well as benign prostatic hyperplasia. It's being used, 
uh, alone as uh, helping benign prostatic hyperplasia. So if you have prostate issues, beta cytosterol is is something that's going to be there. A sterol is is if um, is a is a chemical type. So cholesterol. Um, there's a lot of those in there, and they're they're important parts, building blocks of the of the body. But this is a plant sterol, and it actually helps lower heart disease and cholesterol. Also, in goji berries are uh, various polysaccharides. Polysaccharides basically means um, multiple sugars, um, but they can have very beneficial effects. And uh, these various polysaccharides are attributed to its anti-cancer properties. So when I when I say things like this, when you look at the polysaccharides that are in goji berries and you isolate them, and then you see what those polysaccharides should be doing and you look at rat models and things along those lines, it shows anti-cancer properties. This doesn't mean that there's been research to show that these particular polysaccharides are useful in the human body. They often will use isolates of the human body, like specific cancer cells and see if they affect them. But just because a something affects a cancer cell directly doesn't mean that when you ingest it, and it goes through the stomach and gets broken down and it goes through the blood and it gets distributed or not, that it will actually help fight tumors at that point. So in the lab, these polysaccharides are supposed to help tumors, um, generally do help tumors, but um, not necessarily, uh, they haven't been proven to do so in vivo in life. So, um, you know, some pointers to some beneficial effects. I just don't think there's a, a strong evidence for any of this. So one thing that uh, I'm big on are drug-herb interactions. And uh, there aren't a lot of risk factors for drug-herb interactions as far as goji berries are concerned. It doesn't have any interaction effects with cytochrome P450, uh, no interaction effects with um, uh, you know, absorption or distribution, no protein binding, nothing along those lines that we're aware of. But there have been a few case reports. There's, I found three. I'm sure there's a, there may be a couple more that highlight potential interactions with warfarin causing an increase in the INR. The INR is a measurement of blood clotting. Warfarin is an anticoagulant. Uh, those of you who are in medicine are very familiar with warfarin. Um, one of the brand names for warfarin is Coumadin. Uh, and so this, if you're familiar with drug-herb interactions, warfarin is, is not my number one um, drug, but it is my number two drug for potential drug-herb interactions. So it's not surprising that there um, can be a few interactions with even something as benign as goji berries. Um, if you look at these cases, one was a 61-year-old, one was an 80-year-old. Um, and they were on different various cocktails. Uh, what kind of solidifies the interaction in these case reports is when they take off, take them off of the, of the uh, goji berries and everything kind of came down to normal. Um, one case, uh, when they took them off and lowered the warfarin dosing, everything went back to normal. Well, if they had just lowered the dosing, it, may have, it probably would have gone back to normal anyways. So you always have to take these case reports with a bit of grain of salt, but when I teach drug-herb interactions, I always say don't combine herbs with warfarin in general. So, um, and, I, and I'm not particularly conservative when it comes to drug-herb interactions. Um, so I'd just be a little bit worried with warfarin and goji berries. Though in general, I think goji berries are incredibly safe. So um, goji berries are in, a, in, a, in several um, formulas in Chinese medicine. 
two of which uh, uh, the restore the right and restore the left decoctions are are used in tonifying uh, kidney yin and yang so it's not uh, surprising that it would be in there I don't think it's one of the major herbs in, in either of those um, I think probably the the most interesting formula that it's in is a variation of Liu Wei Di Wang Wang. Liu Wei Di Wang Wang is translated as six flavored Romania pill. This is a, is a classic formula for treating uh, yin deficiency, very classic formula for yin deficiency, very commonly prescribed. And um, it, it, when you have dizziness, diminished vision and dryness, you can add the Juhua that we talked about, the chrysanthemum flower and the gochidza, the, the goji berries to Liahui Di Wang Wang and come up with the formula Chiju Di Huang Wang to help with that. So it's basically yin deficiency with some dizziness and vision issues. And uh, that's a very common, a relatively common, I don't know about very, it's a relatively common variation of Liahui Di Huang Wang. And I think that's a good formula for this particular herb. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about some of the concerns with this herb it may be hard to digest in those with spleen chi deficiency and dampness leading to diarrhea so for those of you who aren't Chinese medical doctors out there um, I wouldn't worry too much about what spleen chi deficiency is at this point or dampness um, I think if uh, someone is having some concerns with digestion uh, there's not really anything that I can think of off the top of my head that uh, a digestive complaint uh, that this would be helpful for. So if someone is having some trouble with digestion, this is probably an herb that they shouldn't have. They should absolutely not be eating this raw in that case uh, or in high quantities. Uh, and by the way, I would probably say the same for most dried fruits um, for someone with uh, having trouble with digestion. Fruit, dried fruits take are difficult to digest from a Chinese perspective. They shouldn't be used in excess or exterior conditions. So if you have, um, if you have a bad cold, this is not something you should generally have. Um, a cough that's lingering and dry, this might be very, this might be one of the herbs to consider. Um, but I wouldn't do it in the middle of a of a, a cold necessarily. And I, there are several uh, cautions in various books about not using this or having caution when using this in pregnancy. Uh, there's some some evidence that it might stimulate uterine contractions. I don't think the evidence is very strong, but you generally don't on something like this. You don't look for strong indications. You just kind of go, okay, there might be there. Let's just be play it on the safe side. So probably should should not be used in in pregnancy in general. So that is the goji berry. I I. I I don't know what to say. I, I kind of chose this. I thought it was uh, an interesting herb to choose for our very first episode. It's sort of a po it's a very popular herb in the in the general population. Um, from a Chinese perspective, it's an important herb, but it's not one of the most important herbs. Um, so it's a it's sort of a fun herb to to kind of throw into the middle of all this. And uh, again, some some summary here. Uh, I think. Uh, we need to be aware of the hype curve, or the, as I'm calling it, the rediscovered uh, herb curve uh, in regard to the goji berry, that we don't want to get caught up in the hype of the, of the goji berry because it is very beneficial, but it's not for everybody. Um, just like everything else, it's not for everybody. 
So um, we don't want to get too caught up in this, but if you're um, someone who's a little bit older, a little bit weaker, if you have some eye problems, long-term sort of chronic eye issues, especially if they're a little bit on the dry side, um, this is a very good herb for you. And it would certainly uh, be uh, behoove you to consider taking it on a, on a regular basis. I, again, I don't agree with using it uh, like raisins and eating it as a dry fruit. Uh, I think if you want to use it in the long term, I think you should uh, think of it as a, more of a tea. And so um, put it in with some hot water and steep it and then drink the hot water. And then at the end, after it's soaked, you can eat the berries, but only after they've been soaked and are sort of a little bit pre-digested, a little bit easier to digest. It's great for adding to, to uh, soups and stews. Uh, that's a great way to, to add this in. This is definitely one of those herbs that is a food as well, uh, at least from a Chinese perspective. So great thing for you to add in there. Um, there aren't a lot of cautions around this. I guess if you're on warfarin, I would generally recommend that you do not take uh, any herbs with, with warfarin and certainly not on your own. That is definitely a place where you want to have a professional help you through that and most importantly a doctor be on your side to to get tested regularly and make sure that uh, your your uh, coagulative levels your coagulation levels are appropriate and if you're pregnant you probably shouldn't take this herb uh, i think there's a lot of interesting benefits the eyes are a primary benefit of this and as we we also uh, talked about it is a gentle tonic that will uh, can can help long term uh, in, a, in a gentle way uh, to help uh, sustain your, your uh, activities and your energy levels. So that was our very first episode. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we do have another episode coming up. Uh, it's actually going to be on one of my favorite herbs. It's Sharon, which is uh, Amomi fructus, also known as cardamom, one of my favorite spices, one of my favorite herbs. Uh, again, uh, an interesting herb in Chinese medicine, certainly used and known by most uh, Chinese, by should be everybody, Chinese medical practitioner. But again, not one of the top tier herbs. Um, I figure I'll get into the top tier herbs as I, as I go along. But I think we'll have a very interesting episode next week with Sha uh, Ren. I want to thank our sponsors. And I also want you to know you can always get in touch with me at Dr. Greg at spurbsherbs.com so that's d-r-g-r-e-g at spurbsherbs.com that's s-p-e-r-b-s h-e-r-b-s dot com or you can go to our website at www.spurbsherbs.com s-p-e-r-b-s h-e-r-b-s my name is dr greg sperber and i thank you for listening to this uh the other thing i want to the last thing i would like to mention is that uh, all, uh, if you liked what you heard today, you can go to our website. We have a complete bibliography of all the, the books that I, that I use to create this, this podcast. I also have some stuff that didn't quite make it into the podcast. Some, some, uh, added, um, some, some extra, uh, websites for you to go to if you want to follow up and, and learn some more about this and, or uh, there was a great website on the quality of, of uh, goji berries. If you want to learn more about any of the topics on this, uh, my website, uh, www.spurbsherbs.com would be an excellent first go-to on that. And with that, I want to say good health to you and thank you very much for listening. 
Timothy Dobbins, Roger Campbell.